This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. You are more than welcome to use. Now as you're turning there, I'll I'll have a question for you. You How many of you have uh, attended uh, like a group meeting of some sort and uh, participated in an icebreaker? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you love icebreakers, some of you hate icebreakers. Probably the more introverted of us uh, probably think that's torture. But uh, usually when you get into a big group meeting, there's probably some type of icebreaker. And the whole point is they're trying to break the ice. In other words, they're trying to help the situation become a little less awkward and let you get to know some of the people that are attending the same meeting that you are. And uh, one icebreaker that, uh, that I have participated in is one where they kind of separate you by uh, what is true of you. So they might say something like this. Okay, everybody who is a fan of the University of Georgia, go on this side of the room. Now don't move, okay? <clears throat> we might be uh, heavy on one side after I finish this statement. All right, so everybody uh, is a fan of University of Georgia, go on this side of the room. Every, everybody who's a fan of Clemson, go on this side of the room. You know, then you, everybody goes to one side and then some people don't go anywhere. Um, then you might say, well, okay, everybody who prefers the beach, go on this side of the room. And everybody who prefers the mountains, go on this side of the room. And the whole idea is you're, you're seeing, oh, I'm, I'm walking toward this side of the room with somebody who also prefers the beach. So I have something in common. And so it kind of, you know, hopefully warms up the crowd, makes it seem a little less awkward. And, and the ice is broken. <clears throat> now, the audience that Paul was addressing in Rome was made up of several different types of people as well. Several Different categories of people, if you will. And this is why back in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, Paul began arguing that even though uh, you may identify um, with maybe your lineage, uh, and specifically uh, he, he targets you know, those who are of Jewish descent, maybe you really cling to your lineage, your ancestral lineage, or maybe you really cling to uh, your religious practices, whatever they may be, or you hold a specific philosophy of life. So whatever, however you categorize yourself, he, he lets us know that, you know, no matter what you, may be true of you, based on those categories, there's actually one category that we all fall into. And he shares this category with us in Romans 3, verse 9. Listen to what Paul says. He writes, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So did you hear it? Did you hear the category that uh, describes all of us? Paul says that we are all under sin. So if Paul were doing the icebreaker, and he were to say, okay, I want everybody that is under sin, go to this side of the room. And everybody who is completely righteous in God's sight, go to this side of the room. Guess which side of the room that we would go to? This side of the room. We'd all be under sin. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know, apart from Christ, you on your own uh, would fall in this category. So we'd have a, you know, everybody in the room on one side. And that would be categorized by this phrase, under sin. Now you may say, well, Ron, you know, I don't know if I would fall in that category. You know, I'm not perfect. But I don't know if I would say I'm you know, under sin. Um, so if there's any doubt, Paul kind of unpacks what he means by that in verses 9 through 20. 
And so I want to look at just some of these statements to bring some clarity to what Paul means by being under sin. Uh, The first statement is in verse 10. And this is where he says, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. So Paul uses this term righteous throughout his argument. And one person describes the term this way. Righteous is a positional term. We will realize it means that no one is blameless with respect to God and others. We have wronged God and others. We owe them. We are in their debt. They have a claim against us. To be under sin is a legal position. So Paul says that no one is righteous or blameless before God, meaning that we're all guilty. He's basically telling us that we're all sinful. Okay? That's what he's saying. We're all under sin. None is righteous. No, not one. And then the second statement I want to highlight is in verse 11. He says, no one seeks for God. Now, you may look at that and think, okay. All right. Um, Now, Ron, I know people that are religious, that are not Christians. uh, And they seem to be seeking God. Although it's through different ways. Uh, How can Paul say that no one seeks God? When short, Paul is telling us, you know, you may be religious. uh, You may pray. You may be interested in the existence of God. uh, You may do this or that. But left to yourself, left to ourselves, we will not seek God the way He ought to be sought. Okay? We may seek the gifts of God. But we will not seek to glorify God, to love God, and to approach God the way He wants us to without divine help. This is Paul's argument. So no one seeks for God. Then Paul makes a very dogmatic and surprising statement in verse 12. Okay, so no one's righteous, he says. No one seeks for God. And then he says in verse 12, no one does good. Now, you may say, okay, Ron, Paul has gone too far here. Okay, I may get on board with the first two, but this one, okay, I don't know about that. uh, Because I know people that do good who are not Christians. So how could Paul, you know, say that? That's a pretty strong statement. Well, I don't believe Paul means that no one is able to do anything that benefits society. Okay, so for example, there may be, like an atheist surgeon in town that performs life-saving surgeries on a daily basis. And we would say that this surgeon is doing good. He is helping people. It's a good thing. But this is not what Paul is, is talking about here. Paul is saying that, you know, we're not as bad as we could be. He's not saying that you all just live as, as, you know, as as, as evil as possible. He's not saying that. He's saying, you know, you're doing good things to help uh, societies, to help other people. I'm sure he would be on board with that. But what he's saying is, there is nothing that we do, even performing life-saving surgeries, that will put us in right standing with God. So when he says, no one does good, he's saying in God's economy, as far as salvation is concerned, What puts you right with God? There's nothing that you do that merits that position. 
Because no one's righteous. No one seeks after God. No one does good. So, Paul is telling us there, there is nothing that we can do to get ourselves out from under sin. Like we're under sin and there's nothing we can do to get ourselves out from under it. Uh, you know, sin infects everything that we do. Uh, it infects how we use our words, our, how we live our lives, how we relate to others. And he talks about it in this passage. But then he sums it up in verse 18 when he says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so notice how Paul referenced our mouths in verse, verses 13 and 14. He talks about just how sin affects everything we do. It impacts everything. Our mouths. He talks about our feet in verses 15 and 16. And now he's referencing our eyes in verse 18. And so he says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Meaning that, that God is not the center of our life's vision. Okay? We're not... Focusing our life on the glory of God. Naturally, that's just not our bent. Our natural bent and tendency is to put self on the throne, right? Live for self. Live for what we think is important and right and true. And so it says that there is no fear of God, that God doesn't receive from us the reverence due His name. So if left to ourselves, apart from divine help, if left to ourselves, you know, we would remain on the throne of our lives. And there would be no fear of God before our eyes. And then with a final stroke of the pen, Paul concludes his argument pertaining to our total spiritual helplessness and depravity. And he writes in verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So to sum up his argument is that we cannot make ourselves right with God in our own power because we are under sin, he says. We're all on that side of the room. Now, before we go any further, we need to realize that just that's where we were or are if you don't have Christ in your life. Apart from the saving work of Christ, that is the human condition. That is... The Bible's, I mean, a diagnosis of the human condition is that we are all under sin. And you need to understand that this means that you cannot get out from under sin on your own. That's the Bible's diagnosis. And when I think about this idea of being under sin, I think back to high school. Uh, and I had a friend who was about my same height, but at that time weighed about 70 pounds more than me. And when we would get together sometimes, as high school guys sometimes do, we'd wrestle. You know, we would wrestle. And so I would wrestle this guy, but this guy knew that if he could just get me to the ground and just put his body weight on me, there was no hope for me ever getting up. <laughs> so he would just put his weight on me, and no matter how hard I try, I could not get this big guy off me. Because, you know, you think I'm fairly thin now? I'm about 195 now. I was about a whopping 140 back in high school. About the same height. And so this guy was probably about 220. And he would just put his weight on me and I just could not do anything. I mean, I just, he knew if he could get me to the ground, I was under that weight and there was nothing I could do uh, to get him off, no matter how hard I tried. Well, the argument here is that in a greater way, in obviously a more 
impactful way. We are pinned down by sin. And this corruption of our nature runs throughout everything we do. So no matter how hard we try, we cannot get out from under it. It's got us pinned down. There's nothing we can do to escape it. And so we must come to terms. You, you, you have to come to terms with this reality that apart from God's saving grace, we are under sin and helpless to do anything about it. And if you're willing to acknowledge that now, if you're willing to get to the place where you realize this is true of you, then what Paul is going to say in verse 21 and following is going to be very good news for you. It's going to be very good news. So listen to verses 21 through 25. I want to read a few of these verses uh, this morning. And I want you to try to just listen for the solution. We're all pinned under sin. It corrupts everything about us. And so what is the solution? What can we do about it? Well, verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who, be- all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So the good news is that although we are under sin, God made it possible for us to be justified. And to be justified means to be declared innocent in God's sight. So to be justified means to be declared innocent in God's sight. It's the opposite of being guilty. It means that we are no longer under sin. But if we have faith in Jesus, we are in Christ. And so the way that we are declared righteous or justified is through faith in Jesus. Now the question is... Well, how can uh, a guilty, sinful person be made righteous or be justified in God's sight? Well, he tells us in verses 23 through 25. So look at this with me. Beginning in verse 23, he writes, For all, so note this, okay, for all of us, this is everybody. This means it doesn't matter who you are. What he's about to say is true of you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's basically recapping his whole argument from the previous chapters. Okay, just in case we didn't get it before. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're all under sin. But then he goes on to say, All of us are justified by His grace, by God's grace, as a gift. Your grace is receiving something good that you did not earn. That's why salvation is called a gift. Something you could not and did not earn. Then he goes on to tell us uh, who purchased this gift for us. I don't know if you've ever given a gift, but you know if you have, you had to buy it. All right? You had to purchase it. You had to do something to actually create it, get it, buy it, purchase it, so that you can give it. Well, the same is true with our salvation. It is a gift, but it came with a price. 
And so he goes on to tell us who purchased this gift for us. He tells us who made it possible for us to be justified. And he writes that we are justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And the key word there is redemption. And redemption requires payment. And the idea is that someone is paying a price to free someone else. So this redemption is in Christ, he says. Meaning that Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price. So in verse 25, Paul tells us how Jesus paid the price. He writes, whom God put forward as a propitiation. And so what Paul does is he takes all the Old Testament sacrificial system. All of what happened in the previous covenant. And he brings it together in one word. And that word is propitiation. It means the taking on of our sin and the penalty of our sin through a sacrifice. So all that that which was foreshadowed in the Old Testament sacrificial system found its fulfillment in this act of Jesus that Paul calls the propitiation. This idea of Him taking on our sin and the penalty of sin upon Himself to satisfy God's just requirement. And so that sacrifice was Jesus. And this is why Paul writes that this propitiation is by His blood. In other words, it's what Christ did on the cross that brought about this justification and made it possible for us. And so now the question is, okay, how do we receive it then? We know, okay, we've been redeemed. There's this redemption that's been uh, paid for by the blood of Christ through His death and resurrection. He's accomplished it. So how do we receive that? How does that help us, those of us who are under sin? Well, Paul writes that it is received to be received by faith. And faith is... You know, all in belief. It's just being all, it's putting all your eggs in one basket. You know, it's, it's fully trusting Jesus with your eternal life. One helpful way to think about it, uh, in a simple way, is, is how you would sit in a chair. I don't know how many of you have been to a theme park recently, but this past year, you know, we went to Universal Studios and some lines are longer than others, okay? And uh, after a while, you get a little tired standing in line. And so we're always looking for a place to sit, whether it's a rail, a rock, something, a box, just whatever. I'm just looking for something to sit on. And you know how it is. You're standing there, it's hot. You're looking for a place to sit. Uh, you're looking for a place to, to relieve you, know, you having to keep standing. And so let's say you see this chair that just happens to be in the line to uh, this Harry Potter ride or whatever it is. And so then you have this chair and you may say, you know what, this chair, if I could just sit in this chair, it would bring great relief to me. Well, that's just fine and good, but it it doesn't help you at all unless you sit in the chair, right? And so the chair in and of itself is wonderful, but it's not going to help you unless you place your trust in it, your faith in other words, you have to be all in in order to let a chair help you out, right? <clears throat> it's like that pew. If that pew fails, you're going to the ground, right? So it's not going to feel good. So you, your trust, at least for your momentary comfort, is to sit in this chair. Well, obviously in a much greater way, 
You know, we're looking for someone who can bear the weight of our souls for eternity and deal with our sin problem, this, this issue that we have being under sin. Who can we place this on who can bear the weight and do away with the penalty of this sin for eternity? Who can handle that? And Paul's saying that's what Jesus accomplished. He took on the penalty of our sin so that we can be justified in God's sight. But it requires us not only to know it, but to actually place our faith in Him. Let Him bear the weight of our souls on Himself and what He's accomplished for us. So it's to be all in, to put all our eggs in that one basket. So it's through placing our faith in Christ that we are justified before God. Now I want you to think back to the icebreaker I mentioned earlier. If Paul were to say to us, okay, I want everybody that is under sin to get on this side of the room. And I want everyone who is perfectly righteous to get on this side of the room. Well, we'd all go on this side of the room because we're all under sin. Paul's been arguing that for several chapters. And so he's made his point very clear that we're in trouble. We're in a hopeless situation if we're left to ourselves. So we're over here. But then we notice, okay, there is one person on this side of the room. Thank the Lord. And it's Jesus Christ. He is over there. And then he kind of gains our attention, the folks over here, and he says, hey, I have done everything necessary for you to come out from under sin and come on this side of the room. But you need to place your faith in me. You need to trust me. And so through Christ, He has made it possible for us to go from this category, being under sin, to being in this category, being in Christ. This category being unrighteous, to this category being righteous. From this category being guilty, to this category being justified and declared righteous in God's sight, to be right with God. That is what has been accomplished through what Jesus has done. That's why Jesus came. And this is why you cannot move from one side to the other on your own. You just can't happen because you get this big weight of sin bringing you down and there's no way to get out from under. The only way is through what Christ has accomplished for us. So the question is that we have to, each individually, we have to, to wrestle with. And that is, which side of the room are you on? Are you under sin? Or are you in Christ? There are only two categories. There's only two sides of the room. And so the question is, who are you trusting in for your salvation? Who are you trusting in to make you right with God? Every one of you in this room and everybody that you know falls in one of these two categories, either under sin or in Christ. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, then even this morning, I hope that you would sense your need for Him. That you would see that you need Him in order to be right with God forever. And there's a, there's a card in your pew in front of you there. It's kind of a next step card and uh, it'll help you. Uh, take that next step, just even help you articulate 
uh, your need for Christ in prayer to God. Uh, So if you'd like to pray and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to bring you out from under sin and make you right with God the Father, uh, there's a prayer there that you can articulate to Him if that's the desire of your heart. And I encourage you to do that. And I pray that even today uh, will be a day of salvation uh, for some of you. And for others of you, I hope you realize what Christ has done for you. The more we realize the power that sin had on our lives and how helpless our state was, the more we ought to praise Christ for what He's accomplished for us through the Gospel. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful that even though we were in a hopeless situation, pinned under the weight of sin, You love the world so much that You gave Your only Son so that through Jesus Christ we would not perish but have eternal life. God, we are so thankful for this truth. Lord, we confess that we often, we don't see ourselves as bad as we really are. And we fail to see the sacrifice of Christ for what it is and how great it is. But Lord, we are so thankful that we have this opportunity, even this morning, to just evaluate our position with You. To recognize that even though we were under sin, You put forward Your Son as a propitiation. One that would take on our sin, deal with it, do all that was necessary for us to be made right with You. And that we can receive this gift by faith. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of faith. Faith in Christ. Seeking to live out our identity, our position that is securely in You because of what Christ has done. And I pray for anyone here who's still wrestling with this and uh, trying to understand um, just what Christ did for them. Lord, I pray You give them a, a greater awareness of their need for You. And I pray today would it be a day of salvation for them. And we trust you to do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.